Welcome to the Short Cloud Podcast. I'm Nick Rafferty. And this week I'm here with Matt Davis and Yang Zheng. And today we're diving into TPRM and exploring what are the common questions we hear about a typical TPRM program. So Matt, why would organizations decide to run a third-party risk management program? Often the first thing that they're kind of thinking about is a compliance requirement. So there is some level of a compliance requirement that they have to meet. This is where most organizations are. It's not really thinking about risk, but ultimately the thing that you should be doing it for is to manage risk. And I think one of the big things here is about thinking about protecting the things that are important to your organization because ultimately you could be compliant, but is that adding value to your business or building resiliency? Do you think then that people are taking both things into account? Because my first experience of third-party risk was probably 15, 16 years ago. And it was certainly driven by the payment card industry data security standard. The IT function were asked to commence a program. It was independent of the other risk programs in the organization, and it was very much standalone. And then it became very apparent that there were other third-party risk programs going on in lots of other departments. And it was really more of a an exercise of satisfying the compliance requirement back then rather than necessarily looking at risk reduction in the organization. So do you really see that organizations are now saying, actually, this is a really valuable thing to do? A lot's happened in the last 15 years, clearly. I think the answer is I'd like to think so, but not always. (laughs) I think a lot of people are still doing it for compliance reasons. They may be doing it because they think it's the right things, but a lot of the time it's focused on a bunch of compliance or contractual requirements that they have to meet. They're probably not, in some cases, thinking around How much risk does this vendor kind of push to our organization or how much risk is this exposing exposing to our organization? A lot of the time it's, is this vendor meeting the minimal control requirements we expect to work with us? And I think a lot of organizations don't bring it back to, okay, they'd like to, and I think they think about it this way, but often they get focused on, we need to do the compliance things first without going, how do we actually measure how much risk this vendor is exposing us to. And I think that's hard. I think that's the other thing is like it's not as easy as have they met a bunch of requirements because that is a yes, no, checkbox exercise. Calculating how much risk they have to is much, much harder. And are you still seeing the issue that I, I talked about in terms of different functions within the same organization independently assessing the same vendor? The issue that this particular organization had was that they used up their audit days or right to audit days with the vendor in question or a number of vendors in question. It meant that the IT function, because the finance function had already audited them, couldn't then go and audit them. So it was around coordination and sharing of data and getting a more holistic view of risk across the, the vendor set. Is that something that still exists? So I think we're getting it. So a lot of organizations are starting to look at the integration between things like procurement, finance, and other parts of the organization. It's not entirely there. We are seeing a lot of organizations now working in conjunction with obviously supply chain and procurement and IT being and privacy being part of that. So key things that they want to assess. Is it always a joined up? No. But I think people are starting to say, okay, there's golden source of data coming from sourcing systems. We need to have a much more joined up approach to this. So it's not just, can we contract with them? There's a bunch of assessments, but are they the same assessment? Are they coming from the same tool? Probably not. They're coming from a combination of different places, but at least I think they are starting to think of, 
we need to in some way centralize this and understand what we are doing. Do I think all vendors are there or all organizations are there? No. But some of our bigger our bigger clients and clients that we worked with before are doing this and they're having a much more holistic approach to kind of third party risk. Um, it seemed to me again back then that this was a very much a standalone initiative because it was easy to spin up because it was not related on the onset to other programs that are already in flight. Is it still something that you see where it is very much standalone or are we seeing much more integrated risk management across organizations? To a certain degree, I think I still see the majority of prospects coming to me that's treating it almost like a standalone. So the reason for that is initially it might be due to a GDPR requirement or a PCR requirement. However, as technology evolves and we're in the digital age, companies are outsourcing more and more critical tasks to different vendors. As they outsource, there's more requirement for them to then do that audit or that scrutiny around how risky their vendors are. And that is also preventing business from thinking the bigger picture or thinking about the integration. So unfortunately, it will still require a lot of manpower and input for business to truly think about how to integrate third-party risk management into the wider risk culture. Some organizations are doing that, but those are kind of more the larger organizations out there that has already tripped over a few times on dealing with it as a siloed use case. But there are still yeah. many out there that's treating it as a siloed case, yeah. just from a resourcing perspective. Yeah, that makes sense. So how would an organization know what's important to include in the scope of an assessment program? I think often it depends where you're starting. So beginning, for me, as you start at the beginning, you probably just want to understand your vendors and you probably look in the best way to do this is think about what those vendors support. So what of your critical assets, processes, so you've impact assessed and understand how vendors are affecting them. That's quite a, I'm going to say mature approach. A lot of the time it comes down to maybe spend, maybe the criticality of the programs they may be running is an easier way, contractual value, the risk of the type of services. There's many different ways to do it. I mean, I would say the best way is linking it back to what critical things they support, but that is quite hard. You need to be able to join the two worlds together. But I think a sensible starting approach would be say, actually, let's look at the value of the vendor, so what we're spending with them, how risky the services are if they're hosting services and other things, and then saying, actually, that's where we should start and come up with a set of questions. The other thing is obviously make sure you understand where all your vendors are and you've got a golden source of them. If you haven't got them, you probably should get that written down pretty quickly. So that probably covers the part that I was going to ask next, which is what's the scope of the vendors? But is that driven through that process that you've just talked about in terms of understanding what's important to you as a business first? It is, but obviously you can't assess all vendors. So first thing is you probably have to tier them, find what's critical. But the other one is, not all vendors will allow you to assess them. So there are some vendors that if we were to say wanted to assess Google or Amazon, they're probably just going to point us to a web page and say, here's this, here's some results of certain things we've done. That's all you're getting. So there's probably a second part of this is what's important to us and what realistically we are able to get answers from and where we can get that information. So you may use Office 365, Microsoft may be critical to you, but are you going to get the right to audit them and send them questions? Probably not. 
they're probably going to give you some information, but it's not going to be bespoke to what your organization does. So that's another thing you have to take into account. Those large organizations, you know, by the very nature, probably have more potential risk of an issue. And clearly, they've got more money to protect themselves, but it's quite ironic that you know, you're not allowed to assess them <laughs> to the degree that you'd perhaps want to. And it's much more of a blanket answer set. I've always found that quite an interesting. The other thing is, obviously, you might have managed service providers who are helping you with that. So you may want to assess them because, again, a lot of organizations are using MSPs to help them deliver some of these capabilities. So maybe it's not about assessing Microsoft. It's maybe about assessing the person who's managing it on behalf of you. So that's yeah. that's the other angle to think about here is if you know that's a critical asset or process or service to the organization, are they supporting that? And you can do that easier when you think of it about that way. Yeah. No, that, look, it makes sense. Good point. And that also leads me on to, um, do you see targeted assessments on a project basis? So rather than a full vendor, so if you've got an engagement with, you know, big four consulting firm, for example, where they they have multiple projects that are, you know, in progress with your organization, do you assess the whole or do you assess the project there's two views on that, right? So theoretically speaking, assessing the project probably will get to the bottom of what your risk exposure really look like or the potential risk that, that's involved in a service or in this product that you're trying to procure. However, the challenging bit is for an organization with limited resources, are they able to create standardized questions in different services and product areas that they can make sense of the answer as well as easily manage those questions and that's the challenge i see in, in the industry is if you make it to a project specific one it might be a one-time usage questionnaire that one is hard to understand and hard to interpret yourself because it's not linked to your wider re- compliance requirements or your wider risk landscape and two is you know you might never reuse it again so it's a lot of effort going into an exercise that in the end gives very uh, little benefit as an outcome yeah look i guess that's the other balancing act isn't it is the resource availability to actually operate at that very granular level where you know it's an extremely mature program that we'd see that was actually performing like that i guess the one thing i would say with that is there has been some examples where you may want to do even for smaller organizations tactical assessments so obviously if you had operations in russia and you are not russia or ukraine recently and you want to know that you may have been able to ask a very tactical specific question which could be three or four questions right so I think what Yang's saying there is targeted questions on like very specific subjects, but you may yeah. want to do some smaller ones like, okay, have you got operations in Russia and Ukraine? Will this affect you? Yeah. It's as simple as four questions and you could do that and it's not a lot of work. So I think it's not big question sets, but there are reasons you may want to do smaller ones. Yeah, so reacting to events or environmental factors that, exactly. that come up. Okay. And going back to the... Um, point around isolation of programs is there anything that you would sort of say actually there is a major benefit in terms of integrating the vendor risk program with other parts of your current grc program sort of leveraging parts of the information or anything like that i would say there's great benefit to remove that isolation however it needs to be done strategically and it needs to have a long-term vision the reason why i say it there's a lot of benefit is If we look at TPRM as a standalone use case, there's more a reactive exercise 
an audit exercise to make sure we understand if we're compliant or not. However, that does not drive better operation. That does not drive efficiency in how it in processes in, in activities. Whereas when you integrate that to the wider kind of compliance and risk landscape, what you're basically doing is you're removing the exercise from being an audit-based approach, but more embedding it as a standard part of your operations. And that's great benefit because you want to know how you can properly react to these situations rather than making a tick box exercise to explain to your you know, auditors or to the regulators that you actually were aware of it and you had made some kind of you know, hindsight actions against those. One of the things I've seen in, in one of the programs that I was involved in a while back was the concept of being able to assess the vendors to the same level or standards that you operate as a business yourself. So you've got your own internal compliance control frameworks, your own risk profile, those sorts of things. Clearly, again, it depends on what the vendor is doing for you from a a third-party perspective. It could be outsourced critical systems or critical processes, for example. So you have to take that into account, obviously. But I thought it was quite a neat idea around you can you know, basically figure out how you stand against the vendors that you're also operating with. Is that something that you see value in and is it common? I've seen them on the market. I wouldn't say it's common at this point in time. But yes, that's a very um, pragmatic approach to improving TPRM because if you can compare yourself to your vendors, one, you can create some kind of benchmark improve yourself and two is also because you're doing that direct comparison it's easier than also to set your questions to your vendor to align with your wider risk and compliance framework which means it's much easier to decipher the outcome you get from those assessments and if you treat it as standalone it requires a lot of manual labor then to decipher that and then understand what it actually means to your business or whether you even care about some details in their answers right yeah oh, it makes sense I think there is one thing though that is really important, which is I've not really seen many people doing is like actively tracking the risks. So a lot of the time, at the end of it, you get control gaps and look great. I think organizations are starting to benchmark and some internal control frameworks and make sure vendors are doing it. But actually thinking about the risks that that vendor gives you or the amount of what exposure you have to that vendor. And then also thinking like, actually, we should be actively working with that vendor to manage that risk is a very mature approach that, look, I don't see a lot of people doing it. People are starting to do it. They may have risks that on their risk registers linked to vendors, but are they actively thinking in that way? I'm not sure, but I think that's where people should be, is saying, yeah. we've got risks. Actually, we've identified risks because we understand this about this vendor, and we're going to work with this vendor and keep assessing this. So it's not just the assessment we've done, i.e. the control assessment, but we're thinking about the ongoing risk and making sure it's been mitigated. Yeah, like it makes sense. So in that sense that you'd have a vendor that would be part of your third-party risk program, but they could also then feature in your wider risk management program from an IT perspective, because clearly they're assets that you're assessing ultimately. Is that where you'd see that as part of an assessment in a wider risk program? So is the transition between the two, interaction between the two, or is it actually they're still managed independent of each other, but they have to have awareness because you're assessing business processes and assets here that are clearly underpinned by vendors in your third-party risk management program. And what's the join between the two? 
Is that what you're talking about in that instance? I'm saying, yeah, I mean, obviously you should be tagging your vendors to the things they support. I think that is a really easy way to start to think about how, if anything was to happen, how that would cascade up. Yeah. The other thing is when you're doing risk assessments, you may be doing project-based assessments, you may be doing asset-based assessments. You may even be doing, there is a specific risk that you, an event that's happened and you know that the vendor is involved in it. And if you start to have those joined up approach of way of seeing that, you can then be looking at the vendor in perspective of the risk assessment. So you're linking the risks to the vendor. So you're looking at both sides. And it also looks when you do your assessments next time when you're talking to them, there is a joined up way saying, actually, we think there's a set of risks that you're involved in. And and that's kind of flipping the conversation with the vendor of here's the control gaps is to actually, we think there's these risks. How can you work with us to mitigate them? Because I think you're much more likely to get a sensible discussion from them in a project team than you are just saying, here's a bunch of control gaps, which ultimately they will work through. But I think it's a just more grown-up approach to vendor risk is making it risk-focused and then thinking like how you can work together in a partnership. Yeah, that makes sense. It makes sense. So um, we've talked about the sorts of you know, scope, vendors. We've mentioned questions, but talking about questions in particular well how do you recommend going around or going about creating a question set is it create your own take something that exists and augment it with your own how would you go about it depending on the size of the organization but if this is kind of day one right where they don't have any questions i would suggest that probably procuring or leveraging an existing one right either use it using you know based on scf standards or through a consultancy firm or, you know, the SIG approach, have a basis and then tailor it to your own need based on what variations you may need from the vendors that help you understand the risks and, and the compliance gaps much easier. I think the biggest challenge when it comes to question set is most often organizations don't think about whether these questions are there to help you gain data point to action on, or are they just there as a tick box exercise? If it's just a tick box exercise, the function on its own, right? The TPR function on its own is not really improving itself over time. And also, if it's just tick box exercise, then it's a lot of manual labor going into reviewing those questions because not everything is yes and no, right? There might be policies attached. There might be evidence attached. You go through that, but you're not getting much value out of that time consumed. So I think for most organizations, start with something they can leverage and think about why they're asking those questions. Ideally, you want to minimize your question, but gain the maximum amount of data points you can action against from the outcome. And I think that's where the starting point should be. I see the programs that I've been involved in, I've always tried to encourage people to think about the vendor. Because clearly, you might want to have very, very detailed questions that are very specific to your organization. But that is going to be extremely difficult for the vendor to necessarily resource and answer in the detail that you're looking to actually capture for yourself. So starting with something that is standard within the you know the, the industry, I think is a good position to to be in. And then only ask the very, very minimal specific questions to your organization. Because if you ask extremely tailored question sets, then you're going to end up with very, very poor quality information on the back end. Is that something that that you guys have experienced as well? Yeah, it's about targeting the number of questions right if, if you ask a lot of questions are you going to get 
really great answers. I mean, we all know from our own things when you get lots of these things to go and answer, people tend to tail off as they get further down the 200 questions. <laughs> if you're asking 20 specific questions and then 30, which are generic, you're much more likely to get higher quality answers than you are to ask 200 questions. I think it's just human nature. Yeah. The other thing that I found quite interesting as these programs evolved in the early days was it's a very simple concept, you know, vendor assessment. There's a question set, there's a target to answer the questions, and then you have to do something with the, the data. And I think the what you have to do with the data piece has always been the bit that was always left to the end in terms of the, the thought process between first off the reporting side of things. So clearly you can have a great process in place for capturing the information from the vendors. But if you don't then really get the value out of that important information in terms of reducing risk being the major value, then it's almost pointless running the program in the first place. And I've seen so many programs that were kicked off with perhaps inade inadequate reporting, but I guess more importantly, inadequate processes for post-assessment. So how do you recommend sort of going about putting in a, a post-assessment program or what do you think is uh, most appropriate in that, that sense? So I think the first point to think about is why you're asking these questions, right? And as long as you understand the why, then you can come up with processes as well as indicators that's relevant to the outcome so you can continue monitoring them long-term. And other things to think about is also how do you run an efficient TPRM program where you're not just repeating yourself based on fixed frequency, but you're actually improving operations? And that allows you then to embed ways of self-improvement along the process of self-assessment, as well as, you know, other areas of the, the function where such as, you know, how do you tier your customer? How do you treat certain type of questions? How do you treat certain type of gap? How do you treat certain type of assets? And when those details start getting flushed out, then it becomes much easier than to set, set, you know, monitoring standards. Because a, a good approach is now, you know, a lot of product out there, you have continuous control monitoring, right? As long as you understand those details, what I mentioned earlier, then you can set up key indicators against certain thresholds or certain topics that's of relevance. And one that threshold is exceeded, you can immediately then react to that. But the prerequisite really is about what are you trying to get as an outcome from those assessments as a starting point? Yeah, I've, I was sorry. Yeah, I was just going to say I've always taken the approach of less is more. If you can keep your question sets extremely targeted, as you said, Matt, then you're going to get much better quality information back. You know, clearly it has to satisfy the need in terms of your risk program, what you're trying to achieve. But definitely, the less is more approach is something that I'd recommend. Yeah, the other thing is about like obviously having a proper approach to follow up on where you identify issues so the assessment identifies things that you maybe you're not certain that you want to deal with it's having the approach to raise action plans and work with the vendor to resolve some of those things in some cases it can be a misunderstanding or cases is you generally want them to go away and do something and the other one is where you've identified something that doesn't meet the standard that you get but in some cases, they might not have access to your data. So you may say, actually, I'm willing to raise an exception for this. And it's recording that decision making. So I think it's just having those processes. And if you've got embedded into a wider GRC program, it should be consistent. So 
you are using the same actions, risk accepting its, its processes across any of the areas to make sure that you're embedding that into your TPRM program. You're not just identifying issues, but you're managing them through to go, we're okay with the conclusion of this. Yeah. I think you touched on it earlier. So long as you not being ridiculous in your expectations around vendors and what they should be doing to reduce risk, as in, if you were doing it yourself rather than outsourcing or having a vendor do it, would you realistically put in place the controls that you're expecting? Then I think it's all about working with the vendors. As you said, as a kind of, this is in everyone's best interest to improve overall security and the security postures of both organisations ultimately. So I think it's about making sure that you approach any kind of requests or actions and activities off the back end to be approached in that manner. Yeah. And like I say, I think ultimately it all comes down to making sure that you're asking sensible questions, making sure that we're not being unrealistic in what we ask for. Because I mean, that that is the biggest thing, isn't it? What's the point of asking them to meet things that we're not even doing internally? I mean, they're just going to either not answer it or answer it badly and say, we don't do all of this. And you're going to just, every vendor is going to be a red flag to you. Yeah. And I think the element that we haven't discussed based on what Matt just summarized is the tiering element, right? So in order for us to ask efficient question, the right volume question, one, you tier customer, you need to consider those, right? You need to consider the nature of the service asset they provide as well as consider their organization size. Because if you don't consider that, it's hard to then manage how much questions is actually going out to that vendor. Yeah, it's almost, you know, putting the effort up front to make the question set and the targeting of those question sets as rigorous as it possibly can be, and you'll get much better quality out the back end, ultimately. Are there any things that you'd say people kind of misunderstand or you know, go into these types of programs thinking A will happen and B is the result? If you asked me this question two, three years ago, I would say <laughs> not really because people are very down to earth when it comes to TPRM and try to solve the immediate compliance problem they're facing, right? But during the lockdown in the last few months, what I've seen is there's more and more of a demand out there for TPRM programs to want these integrations to newsfeed, integrations or, or some kind of artificial intelligence analytics going on. Those are brilliant new features out on their market for very, very mature risk and compliance program, which third-party risk managers are a part of. But one needs to understand how mature they are, right? Because we, we've been telling about how to simplify things for yourself and for the vendor. So if today you're working on silo project analysis or assessments, or, or you're working on Excel spreadsheet as your TPRM, you know, assessment register, et cetera. How is these news feed? How is these artificial intelligence analytics of free text of natural language going to help your business when you struggle to understand the existing data point you have? Right. So I think the key thing I just want to say in this point is organization needs to be more pragmatic about where they are and what they need to get out as their immediate problem, because all these fancy new features are great, but if you can't use them, it's just an overhead. It's a cost. It's also a stress for your employees because they don't know what they're dealing with. So why put yourself in that difficult position of setting something up that you can't really use by the end of the day? Yeah. So they have a place, but at the appropriate level of maturity. Yes. Right. I think people get stuck on like technology makes the life better and it, it does, but to Yang's point, you, either you need to know what you want to get out of it realistically, you need an understanding of a process and an outcome. Obviously, 
tools can help you with that and give you a start for 10, but they're not going to do everything with you. It's not a silver bullet. It helps make the process better, but you need an understanding of a process. And the other one is these additional technologies are good once you have a well-grounded process where you can use news feeds, rating agencies, natural language processing. They can really push your program on, but you've got to get the fundamental right. So it's like right-sizing at the beginning, then getting the program automated, got the right questions asked, you've got consistent data, then you can start to add on, okay, how can we use additional technology and service well providers to make to actually get us a better understanding because ultimately you're using them to reassess or be more agile but if you've not got a big team and you're not set up for that that, that data is great but if you can't reassess them you just know there's a problem but you, you yeah. can't do anything with it <laughs> i guess the question you can ask yourself if you're not sure if those kind of new features and new technology out there is right for you is ask yourself the question if for example you're having news feed and you have an artificial intelligence analyze news feed are you happy to let that artificial intelligence software make decisions for you? And if the answer is no, then most likely you're not ready to decipher that data because you need a lot of manual intervention to understand what the outcome means and how to decide upon it. Whereas if you're saying, okay, yeah, the solution can make decisions for us because if that's the outcome, we're happy to send 200 questionnaires, sorry, 200 questions, the next questionnaire within the next five weeks, then that means you already fully understand your vendor landscape and what you need out of the vendors then maybe those advanced tooling out there is something you want to add on to your function. Yeah. Okay, cool. Makes sense. That's it. Thank you for your time, everyone. We've been talking about common questions we hear about a typical TPRM program. You can connect with me, Nick Rafferty, Matt Davis, and Yang Zheng on LinkedIn, and keep up to speed with the latest cybersecurity news and views. Join us next time, where we'll be discussing what practical steps can improve your TPRM program. Thanks very much. <laughs>